0: Hello, language enthusiasts, and welcome to The Language Worker, a space to talk about the people involved in the language business in a broad sense. I'm interested in finding out how their training, work experience, and their passion for languages has shaped our guests' professional and, of course, personal lives. Join me on this journey to explore the multiple and unpredictable paths one can follow when we are involved in the magical world of Of languages. For over 20 years now, Robert Martin has been helping LSPs solve multiple issues by understanding what their owners need to make their business grow. His company, Magic Beans, provides the tools and resources for success. So here I am this morning, super happy to be talking to Robert. So Robert and I did business together or tried to do business together Uh while I was working in the last company that I worked for, uh, which is now called Accolade, because um, Robert is actually a language business guy. And that is really something that I wanted to have on the podcast because I love showcasing what people do in languages. And you obviously are a language worker, uh, Mm -hmm. but you just do it from another perspective. And you started early on already with a little bit of a twist. So I will ask you to present yourself, of course, but then uh, let's uh, start by talking about the fact that you studied languages and Computers, right? Or computing, something like that.
1: Yeah. So I guess even going further back Mm -hmm. than that. So first of all, hi, I'm Robert Martin. I'm from Ireland and I guess I've been working in the localization industry, you know, pretty much constantly since I graduated um, from university back in, I think it was 2012. 2001 <laughs> I'm so used to say in 2020 something uh, yeah <laughs> 2001 but even before that I guess uh growing up um I was one of those kids who was originally a lot quieter hmm. and into things like reading books hmm. and when I reached um secondary school developed an interest in languages Um, French and German. So I studied French and German in secondary school.
2: Mm. I loved
1: that, you know. Um, I always liked um, English. And of course, in Ireland, we have the tradition of learning Irish in school Mm. as well. So
0: I've heard. (laughs) Which was a little
1: bit dysfunctional. Um, Why was it dysfunctional? Because in many cases, there was an expectation that we would kind of assimilated because we were Irish, um, but of course we didn't use it in our day to day lives. Um, and so it, it was a, it was a, it's a difficult language to learn and very different to the other European languages as well in many cases. So that was a bit of a failure, actually. Um, and even though now I can understand, you know, um, notions of Irish, I suppose, or bits and pieces of Irish, it's not a language that I would, spe- I would feel comfortable speaking. Mm. So but anyway, th- that was school. And eventually, I studied French and German. Loved that. um, And I guess I grew up as one of these Irish Celtic Tiger Cubs. So you know, I'm of the generation where we didn't have computers originally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, You know, our first computer, I guess we were I was like 10, 11, 12 in the house. And they were like more computer consoles. And then Mobile phones came along, I guess, when I was in my late teens Mm -hmm. um, or even in university. I think I might have been when I got my first mobile phone. Um, But Ireland as a country was kind of in a state of flux as well. So we were flirting with the Europeans. We joined the European Union and, of course, uh, gained a lot of funding and benefits from that. We also flirted with America, North America, so the USA and Canada. And, you know, I guess a lot of people in the localization industry will identify with this fact that we received investment both from the USA for companies who wanted to enter Europe mm-hmm. and also investment from Europe. Right. So and now I guess after Brexit, we are the the country that speaks English, right? Okay. The, the native English speakers in Europe. Of course, everybody else has caught up since then. Um, In terms of English speaking. But yeah, so I was, um, I guess, very interested in this idea of Europe and languages and French culture and German culture. And I still am. Um, There's a bit of noise outside there. I don't know if you can hear it.
0: Yeah, it's fine. No, no, not so much. (laughs) It's fine.
1: Um, And so I decided to study languages with computing, which would allow me to um, learn more about French culture and, and politics and literature and also German um, culture and, and literature um, and allow me to study um, in those countries as well. Mm-hmm. So as part of my course, I went to France, I worked in France, I then went back to France after college and I also spent a year in Germany. Um, and and I guess I I was attracted by the idea of culture, literature, those kind of things. But also there was a bit of kind of, not pressure, but I guess um, my parents, um, who I suppose were my advisors at the time and the other people around me thought that, yeah, European Union speaking languages, that has to be something that's commercial and viable. So in one way, it was a very practical decision. In another way, I liked languages um and that's how i ended up studying languages in the university of limerick where they had the localization research center which mm. was run by reinhard schaler um at the time and so i studied some of the localization modules there as well and yeah that's how i i i i started my mm. academic part of the of my career i suppose yeah
0: yeah that's insane because as far as i could see from your linkedin profile and everybody knows that's my reference for asking professional (laughs) questions about your path usually Mm -hmm. so i guess you went straight into working with the translation localization company so you didn't have those halfway here halfway there jobs or you didn't do something in between before you actually uh, got into the groove of actually working for the big company so you went straight to the industry right
1: Pretty much. I had one kind of year. The first year, I suppose, you could call it a little bit of a transitional year in the sense that my first um, job following uh, graduation was that of a technical writer. So I was originally recruited um, uh, by a company which now actually would have become Accolade. It was originally called Sysilog. And then I think they were bought by a company called Euroscript.
0: Mm-hmm. Which yes, was Euroscript by was my company, yeah. The one I was Amplexer. recruited by. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So they were bought by Implexer and then Akalad. And I think some of the people are still there. Mm. Um, but we were recruited. There was three of us from my class that were recruited by this company, um, Sysalog, uh, to come over and work as technical writers to write documentation, uh, technical manuals. Mm -hmm. And we were recruited specifically, I think, to work in telecommunications. So I spent about a year trying to be a technical writer Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't like it.
0: Mm. Um, Because I had no idea that you had had actually done language work as such.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, There was one weekend they also asked me to translate Mm -hmm. from French to English and I don't know why it happened, but it happened on a weekend that they gave me um, a laptop with a license of Trados, Mm -hmm. and I think it was HTML editor or HTML QA editor to um, edit, you know, tags because it was a website or something, Mm -hmm. and again, I really didn't like it. I didn't like the fact (laughs) that I had to sit in a computer and look at a screen and work my way around these tags and compare the English string or the French string with the English string and, and make it all happen. I, I I felt that as a, you know, for me to become a translator, I would find it very isolating, you know, mm-hmm. and saying that I was a shy kid. I didn't want to talk to people as a kid, but I guess as I matured, I realized that I liked communicating with people and, was was drawn to yeah communication um and finding out about people finding out about companies and and the business world I guess as well Mm. so I did that for about um 12 to 18 months and then I decided that I wanted to move back to Ireland
2: Mm.
1: um on the pretext of doing a master's and the master's was going to be in German literature and language pedagogy.
0: Oh, look at that. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, and mm. I did it. I did it for two years in Trinity College, but I didn't finish it. I didn't mm-hmm. finish the thesis. Um, And there was a few different reasons for that. But while I was doing the master's, um, I came back to Ireland and I had a... Um, a, a job interview with a company called Simultrans or Simultrans,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who um, were one of the, I guess, localization companies that was founded, I suppose, in the, in the eighties or, or I guess, yeah, they would have been in the eighties at that point, and they were in California. Mark Kalnick mm-hmm. was the the CEO, and they interviewed me for. Well, was essentially a telemarketing position. So my job was to call um, companies to identify people who needed translations and then to pass on the leads to other salespeople in the team. Mm. So again, um, I guess I got the job because I already had an understanding of what the translation industry was. I understood a lot of the concepts through my um, undergraduate degree. And this was my... Baptism of fire going into the sales arena or business development arena because the job was literally making phone calls, you know, all day long. Oh.
2: um
1: And so the first day, um, I worked with a lady who basically we went into a meeting room. There was a list of phone numbers, a list of companies, and we got on the phone. And the idea was just to talk to people on the phone and really try to keep people talking for as long as possible and it was quite comical really you know because uh she um she ended up having a great career um in technology companies but she was you know a typical irish uh, chancer in w- in one way and was was quite you know funny and comical and we had fun we had fun doing it you know um and still in many ways that hasn't i mean in in some ways you have to be a lot more respectful of people's time these days because people have, you know, distractions coming from all angles um and and have very limited time. And but in other ways, that's still kind of what you have to do today is really talk to people mm-hmm. uh, to understand what it is they are interested in and what the what their problems are and what the problems are that you can help them solve. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. So I guess you had a pretty good overview even back then on what clients really needed and wanted and, and how to make it happen for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, things have evolved and changed mm-hmm. a lot since, but the 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 you know the the time quality price or cost conversation, you know, has been happening since then, right? It's the, the triangle of do you want it, you know, high quality or fast or cheap or you mm-hmm. know what do you want to pay all of those things and you know we're still talking about language quality right we have we've never stopped
0: mm-hmm. talking
1: about language quality
0: yeah
1: that's what we sell you know um as an industry we we sell language quality or mm-hmm. language impact um so that hasn't changed um you know people want more things they want other things they want more articulated versions of the same things right more sophisticated versions mm-hmm. of the same things um so yeah it's uh it's moved on a little bit but the the, the fundamentals are the same i guess
2: mm.
0: so ever since those days you have basically done everything <laughs> <laughs> from the business point of view in the industry, yeah. right? Because then you moved into company, 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 company. So you worked for lots of people, lots of sizes, lots of styles, yeah. countries, and all of that. So let's just hear a little bit about the the the, chronolo- the chronological order of all of that.
1: So I, I did work for, I have worked for a lot of companies, but not in the sense that, you know, oh, he couldn't hold down a job. Um, no, 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 I know. <laughs> there was, uh, I guess, um, you know, there was some companies were a better match for me than mm-hmm. others. Of course. And then afterwards I started my own consulting firm as well, which by mm-hmm. nature means you work with different clients and different companies, right? Yep. In different sizes. Um, In the earlier part of my career, um, I guess the two companies that were most influential um, were working with Alchemy Software, Mm -hmm. uh, where I had the opportunity to become a sales manager very quickly. And I was quite a young sales manager. So I worked with um, Tony O'Dowd, who a lot of people in the industry will know was um, the general manager for Corel Corporation Ireland. So they were a software company who did... Um, I guess, CADCAM CAM software. Um, and then he developed uh, uh, an application called Corel Catalyst, which was then renamed Alchemy Catalyst. Mm-hmm. And that was a software localization tool, um, which gave you a visual interface to translate strings and software applications. And then that was expanded to, you know, cover HTML and other, other formats. And so I was there for about maybe four or five years, and that gave me a lot of exposure to, you know, technology companies who needed to translate software. And also kind of um, gave me a lot of experience in terms of managing other salespeople, managing teams, managing targets and meeting targets and, you know, marketing initiatives, trade shows, email marketing. Um, branding, you know, communicating value to customers, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of thing. And Tony was a great mentor. He was, you know, he is, he remains full of energy and um, kind of a force of nature. Somebody who's very buoyant, um, a lot of experience, a very positive outlook in in life and and kind of really... um, helped me develop a similarly positive outlook you know I'm very much a person whose cup is half full rather than half empty at least professionally you know Mm -hmm. when I'm working the cup is always half full um and so that was a very um important job for me eventually I wanted change I went to work for a couple of other providers so I did a little stint in Merle Brink which is now ULG Mm -hmm. And I did another stint in, a very short stint in Language Wire. Mm-hmm. And then I landed in We Localize, which, you know, yes. <laughs> um, one of the big companies, one of the big LSPs, but a little bit different, I guess, in the sense that We Localize, you know, at that time, I think we singled out as really focusing on bringing you know, smart people together to develop, you know, smart solutions and innovative solutions for um, you know, big global brands. You yes, know? because
0: uh I guess it was two thousand nine, something like that. I don't know, I don't know when you worked there, but I was working for relocalize for Apple. So I guess they had just started working with uh, with Apple and they were looking for people who had already worked for Apple and that's how it happened for me. So I guess it was probably a- around that time when they got those all those super big accounts, right?
1: Yeah. And I think, um, of course, you know, the top 10 or the top 20 LSPs have kind of changed or mm-hmm. evolved over the years and they continue to redefine and re re to evolve and redefine what they represent right but at that time we localize was very much um branding themselves as innovators you know Mm -hmm. they want to be thought uh, people who provided thought leadership Mm -hmm. and innovation and bringing clever people together to come up with you know new solutions and and new things you know um and that was very exciting I got to work with a lot of very smart people in 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 sales in operations in technology in account management and because they were able to provide a very wide range of services and a, a big range of languages and you know focused on Um, some very, very visible brands, you know, the Apples or the Tells or the Expedias or the, you know, um, lots of different types of companies, it gives me fantastic exposure, you know, Mm -hmm. to, again, um, understanding what clients want and big global companies, but on a higher level, so more um, localization programs, you know, localization programs for big global enterprises which of course can you know tend to become more and more complex
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, (laughs) as the companies evolve and you have different stakeholders different content types different technologies many languages yeah so that was a great experience
0: yeah i bet (laughs) so i only knew them from that other side but it was good working with them, so I, I have no complaints.
1: <laughs> I, I had a great time working with localized. I always say, I always um, remember my time there very fondly and only have good things to say about them. You know, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed it.
0: But you were in England at this time, or?
1: Yeah, I was in, I was in London, but I worked very closely with uh, both the UK offices and the Dublin office. So um we we kind of worked as as a team at that time we localize was acquiring companies as well so they acquired a company in um the northwest of the uk so in cheshire in a little village called tarpoli and that was the core um team and then a little bit later i was actually involved a little bit with identifying the the company that became the london entity for we localize Mm So at the time we were uh, we were working with um, or we were providing a proposal for with a, a hotel company who wanted translation, but they also wanted the content to be well. They wanted the content to be created,
2: mm-hmm.
1: translated, and then SEO optimized. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we went out and identified a partner that could help us to um optimize the translated content across a range of languages and the partner that we found um to help us do that then became um uh, they were originally called traffic optimizer and then they became adapt localization and i think they're still called adapt which is a division of Relocalize, which focuses on multilingual digital marketing and search and you know um Hmm. The next phase after you've localized your content, how do you make it perform on the web, on the internet, so that people buy more of your product?
2: Wow. Well.
1: <laughs> so that was that was that was great. That was interesting. And, and that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I like. Um I don't know if you know the, is it Myers, Brig or Briggs, Myers, those personality types, the 16 different personality types?
2: No, so, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I've I've been defined as an ENTJ. Hmm. Which, um, we can look that up for your viewers later on and <laughs> give mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it's kind of the the adventurer, the kind of the the person who goes, who kind of storms ahead and loves the big ideas and the big concepts and wants to go into new territories and is mm. you know stimulated by that. Yeah, and that's understand. why you went to Spain.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you yeah. went to Spain. Was it close to that time or was it much later?
1: So, um, no, I went. I came to Spain in 2016. Mm. So I was in Relocalized until July 2016. And then I came to Spain. I think I had like a month off or a few weeks off. And I came to Spain in September 2016. Mm. So I had, um, there was a little bit of a, a change of guard at the time in the management team. And I didn't love my new manager. And I was kind of ready. I was, I guess I was feeling um, uh, unappreciated by my manager at the time, you know? And uh, so I decided okay, I'm going to go and do something different. I'm going to do something for myself. And I was reaching out to different people in the industry and, you know, trying to assess if you know people would like to engage with me almost as a a freelance consultant or uh, on a different level you know rather than working for a larger corporate company Mm -hmm. I um, work for myself and offer my expertise to other types of companies as well and so the first client that I had um and um, we can talk about some of my clients in a, in a while, but mm-hmm. uh, the owner was based in Spain.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so originally, the idea was just to come over and spend time with the owner to really understand his business and understand his clients and then come up with a plan. It wasn't necessarily that I was going to go and live in Spain forever, <laughs> but the idea was just to spend time together to um to work out to work on a plan for the company for the first client that i had Mm.
0: oh so then you're already working independently you already created your company or that comes a bit later because i love that name so i need to talk about it
1: (laughs) it all happened happened, um simultaneously basically Uh um so i formed the company in july 2016 and i called Mm. it magic beans
0: yes i love it
1: (laughs) Uh, the concept of being able to help you grow Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, it it, it feels a little bit simplistic to call a company magic beans. I don't know if it feels a little Mm, bit childish. I don't feel that way. (laughs) But, you know, growth means different things for different people, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And I came from the sales and marketing side of the localization industry. So those were the services that I was going to offer or the expertise that I could offer to my customers. Mm-hmm. um now we've expanded to provide other services and other offerings and you know now i i guess you know the problems um that people want to solve typically they touch different parts of the company so it's not only sales or only marketing mm-hmm. it might also be people it might yeah. also be the culture it might be processes or it might be the the identity like what is, what are we what is our identity now in 2023 2024 mm-hmm. and Who also are.
0: understanding what kind of services they should be offering yeah. and why and to whom and all of that
1: Exactly it, you know identifying new services identifying ways in which they can create value
2: mm-hmm. which they can
1: charge for for their clients and that's huge at the moment yeah. you know because our industry our world continues to evolve, right? Our our, our world is evolving very, very quickly and our industry has to move with it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so, yeah, I started the company in 2016. The first customer I'm still working with, it's Textrans, who Mm -hmm. uh, we've spoken about before and they focus on uh, Brazilian Portuguese and European Portuguese. And we have a great relationship and I'm pretty much, you know, Um, one of the internal team uh, for them, even though I'm still at my own company. Um, And yeah, we've been working together since 2016. And the goal really for them was that they, um, at the time, and they still provide great quality, great service, but they were very dependent on one particular client at the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's dangerous for a smaller translation company, because if that client disappears in the morning, then what do you do? What do you do with your staff, your yeah. translators? So the idea there was really to develop um, strong relationships with a range of other customers mm-hmm. so that we weren't completely dependent on one or two clients, you know. And of course, that takes time as well, you know, Um In many cases in the translation industry, we spend, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy on selling or building relationships. And of course, from a production perspective, we don't switch on the floodgates. We turn on a little tap (laughs) that trickles through and then slowly, 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 it builds and builds and builds. But I'm happy to say that, yeah, we were successful in identifying... uh, quite a few new clients and all of those clients are still with us you know yes
0: and that's how we, we met,
1: met
2: really yeah that's because met. <laughs>
0: exactly. I was a vendor manager and I was yeah. in charge of Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese yeah. and all of that so that was one of my exactly. areas and that's how we met and ever exactly. since I have exactly. been kind of following your
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: your activities because it's everybody knows it's one of the things that interests me the most is the business part of our business. And since you are a businessman in the language community, that is just fascinating to me. And this is why I keep uh, following your work.
1: I'm often often more surprised. I'm surprised sometimes that we don't talk enough about the sales and marketing side Mm -hmm. of the translation industry. Mm -hmm. We talk about companies and company growth and we talk about operational challenges we talk about profit margins and pressure on the profit margin. We talk about rates. Mm. We don't oh, yeah. often <laughs> talk about, you know, selling to people or selling to customers, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's there's myself, there's a couple of other consultants in the industry. And we have the, the larger, I guess, consulting firms. And we all do a little bit of it. Um, but it's certainly a topic that most people want to know more about and want to improve their skills in. You know? yeah, I
0: think a lot of people don't even realize that uh, these days, and it, now for many, many years, probably 25 years or so, there are a lot of multinational companies in our industry, like a lot of them, right? And they do have all of these departments. But people don't think about, when we think about the industry, we're not thinking about the finance department, the IT department, and the sales department, which are really, these days, the heart of the business itself, right? That's how it works. We just to think about it.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because the, the marketing function in global enterprises has become more and more and more and more important. So previously, mm-hmm. it was always products. Companies were product-led. They would, they would build something, then they would sell it. Mm-hmm. Now, increasingly, marketing is taking more of the budgets, more of the power, more of the decision-making, Mm-hmm. Um, because they have the market intelligence, the positioning, the product information, the communication with with the with the audience and with the, the markets, you know. So sales and marketing have become more and more recognized, and I guess that goes along with the recognition of you know localization centers for excellence as well, right? Mm-hmm. So because localization directly supports sales and marketing,
0: yeah,
1: and, and global global growth.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to talk about what's behind what people see because I think that Mm -hmm. basically in the freelance community a lot of people don't really know what a a translation company is at the moment in LSP that's why we don't call it translation company anymore right because translation is now just a, a part of it and it's you know in a range of lots of services and things that go in and out and you have HR departments and it's so complex mm-hmm. like any other company that you know of, right? So I always like bringing this topic up so that, you know, they can see that it's not only what we see that is happening because you're right. We only talk about rates and this and that, the same mm-hmm. subjects always, but this is really, really relevant and it it takes up a lot of the the big companies budget, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the little mini polemic that I had on my LinkedIn post recently. I posted something with regard to um, crediting freelance translators in the gaming industry. And there was a big, big reaction. I didn't read
0: about that, so, but I will.
1: It was, it was, <laughs> oh, there's like 90 or 100 comments on the post. Anyway, um but what i noticed was that there there's there's a huge disconnect sometimes between um let's call them the lsp's or the larger lsp's and the freelance community sometimes you yes,
2: know yes for sure for and for
1: sure. i feel like there 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 needs to be more dialogue between them and it is true that in 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 many cases there's a disconnect. Um, there's a, there's a, the, the realities of a freelance translator and the realities of a single language vendor and that of a multilingual vendor
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: of a client who wants to buy. They all have very different realities and sometimes competing or conflicting mm-hmm. goals. Yeah, you know, particularly now when it, you know when it comes to things like rates and the cost of living crisis and, and mm-hmm. you know inflation and all this kind of thing. It's it's
2: it's it
1: really feels difficult and untenable, you know. And and you know, there's problems there. There's a massive, massive difference between what many customers want to pay for translation and what people want to pay freelance translators or smaller agencies to provide the services.
0: Mm, you know? What a subject. <laughs>
1: yeah. We don't have, we don't have to go into it like in a lot of detail now, but all I'll say is there is a huge disconnect and it is a problem Mm -hmm. and it's and it's our own fault because back in the day we decided to charge by word Mm
2: -hmm. and the
1: prices started at one level and then you know over the years they became commoditized and eroded and and negotiated downwards Mm -hmm. by the buyers um you know i've been in rfp situations with big global companies where they put you in online bidding rooms and you're like recalculating mm-hmm. your rates to try yes, to give yes, your yes. best competitive rate and all of this kind of thing and that just drives the, the 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 pricing down for everybody and now we're in a situation where we've all realized too late that this isn't tenable you know so what do we do now do we push back as an industry do we push back on the customers and say right we used to charge you 15 cents a word from now on it's going to be 30 cents a word. Yeah.
0: Right. Nope. <laughs> How's that gonna happen? Right.
1: Well, you, you know, because you'll always have people who will say, No, I'll give it to you 14 cents a word, you mm-hmm.
2: know? Yeah, I know.
1: So it's it's an issue, you know, and I I feel I feel for um everybody really involved, to be honest, because I feel for the linguists who aren't getting paid a fair wage or you know, have to deal with these agencies who are trying to get them to do translation for two cents or three cents or something like that. Um, I feel for the small um, translation company owners who are stuck in the middle, who want to charge, you know, who want to pay their translators a decent rate, but the bigger LSPs don't want to give them the, you know, the rates that they want to pay. yeah, it's it's um it's it's complex. And of course the big LSPs, like you say, have huge overheads. Mm-hmm. You know offices, IT, staff, okay. learning and development, insurance, you know, hardware, software. You know, it's it's not easy to make a good good margin these days. Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of people would in, in the freelance community sometimes, and I've seen posts about this, oh I I found out that the client is paying them 18 cents and they want to pay me five or six <laughs> it's like what are we talking about here right
1: <laughs> i mean i think it's i think it's been documented pretty well common sense advisory back in the day did a lot of reporting on margins i guess people in slater and Nimsy are also doing it mm-hmm. you know typically um the margins of a of an lsp like if they got into 10% profit or 11 12% profit they were kind of doing okay you know but that's not a huge you know that's not a huge huge profit right um so yeah that's that's where we are and so the question is what's going to change like so mm-hmm. is ai going to erode the cost of things further mm mm-hmm. mhm Are we going to come up with new services, new ways of adding value? Mm. Are we going to come up with new types of customers? Are we going to have to change Are we going to have to reimagine what a translation company looks like? Mm. You know? Because the pricing,
0: how is it going to evolve? Because if we keep going this way, it's not going to work, as you said. So I guess, but yeah, I guess there's a lot of thinking to be done.
1: Yeah, but let's say, you know, if you if you if you set up an LSP tomorrow, mm-hmm. is it going to look like an LSP that you would have started five years ago? You know? Um, how many hats are you gonna wear? And who are the other people that you want to have on your team? You know? Okay, we have linguists, there's linguists out there, we have MT engines and technologies, we can get those things, you know. But who do you need on your team? Are you gonna invest in salespeople? to bring you in more business are you going to invest in like a language quality person to make sure that you're able to stand over whatever it is you deliver are they going to be project managers Mm. where are they going to be based (laughs) because everywhere is getting more expensive and everybody's getting more expensive and ethically you know we have a responsibility to people as well we can't take advantage of people you know yeah um yeah. So it's, it's, it, but it it is a good question. Like if you were to start a company tomorrow, what would it look like and what roles are fundamental and what could you be creative with?
0: I guess, I, I guess it depends on who you are and what your background is, because most people would imagine that if you start a company these days, you start like probably in the startup model, for example, without those venture capitalists and yeah. <laughs> all of those things. So that will take you in one route. Right. Yep. and I guess that's probably how it's happening these days.
1: I mean, you could pro- you could probably do a lot of the roles because you've worked in in on the linguistic side. You've done testing. You've done vendor management. You've done quality management. So you've been working hard. You've be doing long yes. hours.
0: Let's see how that's gonna (laughs) unfold. I could
1: help I could help you with the sales and marketing side of things. There you go. I know you That's
0: how I met you. I remember talking to you. And for some reason, as you can imagine, I talked to a lot of people over the phone because I was even in person. Some people actually came to the office back in the pre COVID days, and that was really fun. We also met in I I would say it was 2016. I've already been thinking about it, and I think it was 2016, probably 17 maximum, because Mm. after that there were so many changes but some people came over and the truth is that you are the person that i kept on following so i mean <laughs> i mean i worked for a huge company so I, I had to talk to a lot of people but i just really enjoyed your non-pushy style <laughs> you yeah. were just really good at, at talking and not being like oh my god please have us there and work it with us and all of that and then yeah. you kept being in touch in such a uh you know it was a, an elegant way of keeping in touch. So that's why.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very fine balance. And, and I think things now are even more difficult, you know. Mm. So if you think about um, populating the the top of the funnel, you, so your initial reach-outs, your initial conversations with people, mm-hmm. you know, we know that it takes maybe between six and eight attempt. To reach somebody to get their attention and that's across you know phone email linkedin maybe other social media you know um and we all have so many demands on our attention some of them involuntary like mm. tasks and email and work and some of them voluntary we spend time on social media or apps or phones or whatever you know part of it's our own fault because we don't police ourselves mm. um, So, you know, it's very, it's very difficult for people to break that ice at the beginning now. And, 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 And it's the most important thing to do as well. And similarly, with your existing customers, the most important thing to do is to keep talking to them, you know, whether it's, you know, once a year, twice a year, you know, depending on your company and your capacity and what you're doing. But the more you talk to your customers, the better right? Because number one, if you're not talking to them, somebody else will be talking to them. And number two, you want them to come to you with their problems, mm. with questions, with opportunities for you to help or advise or give input even, even if you can't solve all the problems, you can, you can give support and you can give a perspective,
2: That's true. you know? Mm. But
1: yeah, I mean, we're, you know, reaching out to new customers or new contacts or prospective buyers is difficult and even things simple things like LinkedIn
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know LinkedIn now has really uh, since they were bought by Microsoft has really clamped down on the on the amount of uh, contacts that you can you can add or that you can make each day so now they have a daily limit of 20 people mm-hmm. if you go over that 20 people each day you're going to be blocked so there's new rules in place there's a new reality that we all have to work in and yeah there there are some technology solutions that are there now that that help us um circumvent some of the issues but it, it's getting trickier and trickier
0: yeah but it's it's now like considered probably the tool right for for the oh, yeah. mainstream and
1: for it's, all that i so. mean i think it's something like 80% of business buyers research or check things on LinkedIn before they Mm -hmm. before they buy and yeah certainly in terms of appointment making it's you know and and starting conversations it's very important I still believe in the importance of phone calls and conversations and meetings I think it's very (laughs) very important Um, they're harder to set up but it's important to build that relationship you know
0: yeah, you just you should have some sort of um, e-course for 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 this part of the business because it's something I've never seen, and uh, I, I'd be signing up. <laughs> so I mean, I'd,
1: I'd be your first. You hire me anytime. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I we we've kind of played with the idea of um, some e-course or online content. Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe it's something we should look into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: but before that happens, so could we like, uh, have some sort of a, a bit of a list of what services you guys provide in the magic beans, because with that name, we can already imagine that it's a lot of growth and going into the, into the clouds. (laughs) yeah <laughs> how I does mean, that translate into actual services with the, the so the name of the services? if if a client wants to a possible new client wants to reach out to you, how would they find you? how would they search you?
1: Yeah, so I guess there's two ways of looking at it. So by the way we 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 welcomed Laura Casaneas to the team about two years ago as well. And so she focuses more on the operations side of the house or mm-hmm. um, on helping companies who need help on an operational level. So she has a lot of experience in things like language quality management, vendor management, machine translation and technology solutions, process um optimization. Mm-hmm. Um, she's worn a lot of different production hats. So now we're able to offer a more holistic range of services to different people because, you know, for some people, growth means new clients or more clients for mm-hmm. other people It means being able to offer new services yeah. or improve their processes or improve their profitability or introduce you know a new a, a new mt offering or something like that so mm. you know we do all of those things from a sales and marketing perspective we do auditing consulting training um mentoring shadowing mm-hmm. Um, We provide um, some content creation and and marketing execution as well for some clients. Um, I have two LSPs that I work with daily, um, which are Textrans and El Turco, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is a fantastic um, specialist provider in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. and they have a a wonderful team who focus on Turkish and Arabic.
0: Mm -hmm. And the wonderful philosophy for recruitment and all of that that we have discussed. And I I advise people to check them out and and see what they do and how they do it, because it's something I'd love to do in the future. (laughs) I love it so much.
1: Have a look on their um, El Turco page on LinkedIn. And we actually Mm -hmm. just posted some videos of the Localization Ninja Bootcamp that they run every Mm -hmm. year. Yeah, Um, that's amazing. but th- They're a great company as well. And then we have other clients that kind of come to us for specific projects and then they go away and then they come back or they, you know, they need things for a certain amount of time or, you know, they, they kind of come in and out or they need training and, 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 or maybe kind of mentoring kind of on a, on a more light basis as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and and again, whether whether people come to us with a need for a specific service, that could be one way that they engage with us or they might have a problem. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like we said before, do they need inspiration? Do they need to redefine who they are or what their company is, what their goals are going to be, you know? Or do they need help developing the strategy to get to where they want to go to? Like, is their goal going to be to, um, change you know, what they do to add new things? Or is their goal going to be to sell up? Do they want to get out of the industry? You know? Mm-hmm. So oh, we've yes. Worked company, <laughs> we've worked with companies who want to sell. They've been doing it for 10 years or 20 years and they're mm-hmm. tired. Yeah, so they're, you're sell.
0: helping them prepare for that step, yep. right? Mm.
1: So they want to they want to sell to another company, but in order to do that, they need to show that they're able to um, onboard new business and new customers based on their existing customer base. You mm-hmm. know, so they need to show that they have a team in place, that they have a pipeline in place, that they have that they're able to take on new customers. Because typically, when people buy companies, they'll buy, you know, um, a specialization or a niche or a foothold in a marketplace, or they'll buy some key accounts or some key people. Yeah. But then they'll want to capitalize on it and repeat it and expand it. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's important if if they want to get out of the industry or they want to do something else that they're able to show that they're profitable, that they're onboarding new customers, that there's something that they can that can be scaled up. You know, yeah. Um, so we've worked with companies on those topics as well. Um, and so inspiration, strategy, implementation, which is when you need something to be done. You know, I need an MT system or I need a language body system. Um, sometimes, uh, what we see is that companies, you know, they grow organically. Mm-hmm. sometimes they grow very, very fast. and the processes and the systems that were fine as a two or three person company, <laughs> right <it's not> fine <laughs> when it's twenty people or twenty five people mm-hmm. or when the clients become more sophisticated or more demanding, you know, um or sometimes you know they might have acquisitions or teams in different places. And the different teams are doing things differently, and they need somebody to come in from the outside and say, Look, tell me about what you're doing. Let's all sit down together and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let me observe what's happening, and then let me make some recommendations to make your work easier and more efficient and more profitable and more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. You know, because we do work in a pretty challenging space, you know. So any any anytime there's an opportunity to make people's lives easier internally as well, I think is, is great, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I guess this is ending in a great note. <laughs> uh, I won't take up much more of your time because I know that you have lots of things to do with all your clients in different time zones and all I'm happy, that stuff. I'm happy
1: to talk. <laughs> Anything else you want to know, shoot. Uh, oh. we, can, we, can, we can we can talk again another time on more specific topics if you like. Oh my God. Um, don't so get good, me started <laughs> yeah i just love that you have this
0: overview because it's it's not really a common thing to have a lot of people yes we do have those uh so renato beninatos of life who know about things right he's like one of my idols obviously but it's just that it's not so easy and common to have someone who has an overview of this particular business from the perspective that you do, because even for over 20 years now, you have been focusing on this and on this alone. <laughs> I, I I know how special that
1: is. I mean, we're lucky to work in an industry where we have some really, really talented people and, and really knowledgeable people, but you're right. People come at it from different perspectives, you know, from whether it's operational or mergers and acquisitions or, you know, scaling. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have a different perspective. Um, it, sometimes it can be dangerous, you know, because I can, I can kind of stride in somewhere and say, "Right, I wanna, I wanna tell the vendor management team to do it this way, mm-hmm. or tell the linguist to sort the problem that way," you know, because when you've been around for so long, you feel like you have all the answers sometimes yep. as well. <laughs> but of course, it remains very, very important to listen. You know, to listen, whether they are internal colleagues or external customers or prospects, you know, everybody wants to be heard. Um, Earlier in my career, I I was accused of lacking emotional intelligence or empathy. And I always used to say, well, actually, no, it's not that I lack those things. It's more that I'm very optimistic. I'm very confident about other people's abilities. (laughs) So they might see a problem. But I think that they're more than competent, they're more than capable of surmounting it, you know? So, um, but I think definitely, you know, what hasn't changed is people want to continue to be heard, mm. and seen, and listened to. Um, and, and by doing that, then, yeah, we can then start to help them with solutions and creating value.
0: Yeah. And I know you have been doing it for a long time and you will continue doing it, which is really what we need and what we want. So I Hopefully. I can only imagine how people understand the value that you bring to the table. So Robert, thank you so much. This was amazing. Always great talking to you in any circumstance. <laughs> so I really thank you. And it has been such a treat for me to have someone who knows about the industry. That's something I really wanted to have on the podcast. So thank you so much for everything.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You too. Thank you. Bye.